So we're, as I was saying, in the Gospel of Luke. If there are all these little black Bibles around, if you want to uh, go to the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is on 1069, something like that. Um, somewhere around there. The Gospel of Luke is uh, in the New Testament. Now, Luke is a doctor. And as we're going to find out as we read a little bit, that Luke's intention was to really do some serious research about all the stories and the things of Jesus and kind of try to put a, a, some facts and some on-the-ground observations or, or stories. And so Luke has collected a lot of stuff by going around, most likely, and interviewing people that are still alive. And what we learned from archaeology and this kind of stuff is that Luke was actually probably written around 60 A.D. So most of the people who'd seen Jesus were still alive. Most likely Mary was. And so a lot of this comes from interviews and stuff like that. But what we're going to do as we go through the Gospel of Luke is we can't in two and a half months cover an entire Gospel. So we've picked out different parts of it that we think will help just kind of bring the whole story out without having to go through the whole book. Um, but to start Luke, we ought to start at the very beginning. So let me start reading that to you. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. Now, there's a couple things I just want you to hear here. We'll go backwards. The idea of certainty. You know, it's, it's one thing to hear stories. And it requires... Stories are required for us to know anything. Right? For you to believe that I had some kind of activity last week, I have to tell you the story. Right? And it's actually even better if somebody in this community here can verify what I did last week, right? And so what Luke is saying is, yeah, you've heard all these stories about Jesus, but I wanted to give you a, 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 more, a higher level of certainty about who Jesus was by going and interviewing the people who actually touched him, saw him, and heard him, and was part of his life. So Luke is going to be very concerned with giving people a sense of certainty, a sense of, yes, Jesus did exist, and Jesus did do these things. Now, Theopolis can mean a couple of things. One, it could have been a nice, good Roman ruler who was interested in the faith. Or it means loved by God, I believe. And so it could just mean anybody who wants, who's loved by God. This is for all of us. And that's a good way to look at it, is that this text by Luke is written to us, us who need some certainty. Us who, especially in the modern age, like are very much prove it to me. And after you prove it, then we say, well but who can know anything, right? We are, we are skeptics to the, to the core. So Luke is good for us as people. So in saying that, we're tonight going to talk about two crazy, fantastic experiences that two people or two groups of people have. So tonight we're going to talk about Mary and her experience with an angel, and we're going to talk about the shepherds and their experience with an angel. So... We are going to start in chapter 1, verse 26. What's happened up to this point is that 
another angel has shown up and told Mary's relatives who are really old that they're going to have a baby. And so then we go and we get to hear Mary's experience. So verse 26 of chapter 1 starts this way. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. We'll stop there. First thing, God sent the angel Gabriel. I want to argue to you tonight that every person and every event and every circumstance in your life is an event where God is involved and God wants to do something and God is sending. He's creating an event for you to choose, for you to decide, for you to experience Him, for you to believe. He's sending you a a Gabriel experience. Now, what's interesting about the next part of this is that he sends him to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is like Toltec. Everybody know where Toltec is? When you're headed to Phoenix, you drive by it, and the best thing at Toltec is that there's a McDonald's and a convenience store all in one. That's like the highlight of Toltec. I don't even know how many people live in Toltec, but but that's what I know about Toltec, and that's the highlight of Toltec, and that's kind of the highlight of of, uh, Nazareth. Right? The highlight is that it had 25 to 50 people in it. It was a, it's a no-name city, and nobody knows about it. Right? In fact, in the Gospel of John, when um, Andrew, I believe, is, is told about Jesus and that he comes from Nazareth, his comment is, can anything good come from there? I mean, really, we're not going to get presidents from Toltec, nor are you going to get God from Nazareth. But apparently that happens. So, Gabriel is sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, I want to stop there and tell you that Mary, like most of us know who Mary is, hopefully, right? Mary is is the mother of Jesus. And most of us, even if we haven't been to church, we kind of know that Mary's the mother of Jesus. But here's the thing. Mary was not graduating from college and getting her master's degree, and she wasn't engaged and contemplating maybe having children at 27, and maybe she'd have two by 35. Mary was 13 at best, probably, to 16. She lived in a 100-square-foot to 500-square-foot mud hut in Toltec. Okay? And then, I mean, she's a nobody. Okay? Now, This nobody girl, verse 28, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this word, at his word, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, this is important to note because we're going to look at two angel experiences. I have a feeling that this Gabriel did not appear like an angel who was seven feet tall with lots of glowiness all around him. He looked like a man, most likely, and he walked up to a 13-year-old girl. Now here's the thing that Mary's startled by is not that a man walks up to her, which would be pretty startling. It's what he said. He says that she's greatly favored with God. Now, this is a poor woman who's 13, who's engaged, who's hopes to live past 25 and not die in childbirth, she does not think most likely of herself as a favored person in God's eyes. Even if she has an intimacy with God, which you will see if you read more of her story and her song, 
But wealth is a sign of God being with you in the first century. This is a poor little girl, and this man, who's not, men don't usually go up to 13-year-old girls in the first century and tell them that God loves them. Okay, so Mary is startled and afraid, not by the fact that there's an angel showing up, but, but because of what the angel says, and that is that she's blessed. Now, verse 30, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What I want you to hear tonight is that all of us actually have these moments if we're willing to look. God is sending people and events into our life to do very big things. But in those moments, we are required to believe. We're required to take a risk. We're required to engage with what's going on. Now, in our culture, we as people have spent a lot of our life disengaging and being emotionally disconnected, right? Through our addictions, to television, to food, to drugs, to a long line of addictions, both legal and illegal. We have been disengaging in life. And so a lot of times, because we're disengaged, we are unwilling to take risks because we've become numb to it. Now, if you're going to be a person that says, you know what, I want to look for these moments that God is putting in my life. I want to take risks. The first thing that you've got to do, and the angel does this for for Mary, is understand what the end goal is. For Mary, the end goal is that she's going to have a baby, and that baby's going to be Jesus, and he's going to be Savior of the world, and he's going to live forever. And that's kind of overwhelming, I suspect, for her. But as you and I are thinking about the different things that we have to engage in, for instance, you know if you're a parent and it's your two-year-old throwing a tantrum tantrum, That is a moment for divine intervention where you can step in or not step in. But it's very difficult to do that if you don't know what the end goal is. So let me tell you, when your two-year-old is throwing a tantrum tantrum or your teenage daughter is off with somebody you don't want her to be with or you're facing just an emptiness inside and you're used to defaulting to addiction of some sort, when you're at that moment, you need to know that the end goal is that the baby that Mary is having... The end goal for all of us is to become like him, to grow closer to him, to become people who love Jesus and are like Jesus, because if we end up that way, the world will be transformed and will be transformed. So knowing the end goal, and you know what? That's the big end goal. With the two-year-old daughter, partly the end goal is just knowing that I want a child who doesn't throw himself on the floor and throw a tantrum tantrum. That's also a good end goal. Okay? Now, it's very important for Mary and for the Gospel of Luke for what's being said here. What's being told to Mary is you are going to have this long-awaited Messiah, the one that the Old Testament's talking about, but one who's going to save us, one who's going to be our king, and one who's going to be sovereign. So if the first part of taking a risk for God is just knowing what the end goal is, the second part 
is knowing what the obstacles are. Look, Mary isn't like, oh my gosh, I, I, how am I, you know, I'm going to have the Messiah. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. She's like, there's a big obstacle to what you're telling me. I haven't had sex. This is not going to work, right? I, I can't pull this off. This is, you know, I just can't have this baby. It's not going to happen. When you are faced with a crisis where God is asking you to take a risk, which I think happens every day in your life, you have to be willing to engage God and say, you know what? I know the end goal is to be like you, to raise my children a certain way, to, to live not connected to, to addiction and all those other kinds of things. I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but here are the obstacles. My child will not cooperate with me. I am broken. We can go on and on to the obstacles. Mary is very simple. There's a logistical obstacle. I haven't I haven't had sex. This is not going to work. Be willing to tell God what the obstacles are to what you think He wants you to do or what He wants you to believe. It may be, God, you just don't make sense. You aren't logical. How can I possibly believe in you? I don't know how you make people suffer. I don't understand all these things about... Just tell Him that you have a problem because this is the obstacle to you actually taking the risk and deciding to believe what he has to say and is asking you to do. But if you're willing to do what Mary did, let me tell you that you're probably not going to really feel that comfortable with the answer God gives you. It's not going to be a simple answer. Listen to what he says to Mary. So she gives him a very simple question. I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. So the angel says, well, this is a simple, this is a simple obstacle to handle. God will get you pregnant. No problem. I mean, here's this young girl going, I mean, she has to be in a place where she's like, I, I don't really understand. And I, I think what's really interesting in here and the way that God communicates to her obstacle is he says, through the angel, this is pretty crazy, but let me tell you something crazy that's already happened. A lot of times when you say, God, here's the obstacle, God says, okay, I'm going to solve it. But it's going to be me I'm going to, who's going to solve it. And this is the thing. Even when it comes to unbelief, when you say, God, I want to believe in you, but I just can't because you're not logical, you don't make sense, you haven't answered my questions, God is going to say, that's fine. I will do that for you. And look, I've done it for so-and-so. God will take responsibility for the obstacle. You don't have to figure it out. But you have to be willing to say, hey, there's this obstacle and I can't get around it and give God an opportunity to get around it for you. Be willing to be vulnerable to that. And he will give you a little bit of encouragement, and he will say, nothing is impossible with God. So, okay. If knowing what the end goal is, being willing to, to offer the, uh, the, the obstacle, having God answer, the third part of it is, if you're going to take a risk, if you're going to believe, if you're going to wrestle with God, if you're going to engage in parenting, the way you need to, if you're going to engage with your wife, whatever it is, 
go on a long list of things that God may be calling you to, but he gives you an opportunity to face every day. You have to start. At some point, you have to stop asking questions. You just have to start. And Mary says, okay, fine. If that's the way you want to do it, God, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left. So Mary's like, let's go. Let's do this thing. I think a lot of times, most of us hook up like the bungee cord to our body in life and we stand at the edge and we're really afraid to jump when it comes to belief in God, when it comes to really doing hard work in our marriages, with the things that we struggle with addiction-wise. We stand on the edge, we know what we're supposed to do, but at some point we just have to do it. You just have to jump. You just have to do whatever it is that God's calling you to do. And he'll take care of the rest. But you've got to say, all right, let's do this thing. Now, that was the first story, Mary's miraculous story. I want to go to chapter 2 and look at the shepherd's experience with an angel, and we'll kind of tie these two things together. So Mary gets pregnant, Mary has a baby, and then we're going to look at the biggest birth announcement ever to happen. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. Now Mary was a poor little girl. The shepherds were even poorer. In fact, the problem with shepherds is that sheep are messy and dirty. And so shepherds could never ever worship in the temple with everybody else because shepherds were considered to be unclean. And so because the Hebrew people worshiped in community, they considered if you all go and worship at the temple, everybody has to go through the purification rituals or you can't worship together. And if you worship with the shepherds, then all of us are unclean. Therefore, we're not really worshiping. To understand that better, let me talk to you about cartel coffee and McDonald's. It's important. Now, how many people have been to cartel coffee? A few. Okay, be honest. All right. Cartel coffee, I love to go there. It's like liquid gold espresso. I pay way too much money. Um, I'm making somebody else rich with my money, but I still do it. Now, cartel coffee is the coffee place of the hipster. All right? Now, from what I understand, and if you're a hipster, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to offend you, but, and I, may, I don't mean to describe you in the wrong way. But what I've seen so far is that hipsters wear some kind of converse. Usually they're cool, leathery things. They, they fold up their, their jeans so now, so they're like cuffed like this. They wear two tight shirts and they're rolled up here. And they have their like hairs kind of flipped back in a faux hawk. And they've got like tattoos on their arms. So if you have tattoos, then you've got a head start to being a hipster. You're, you're in. Okay. But that's, that's the coffee shop. And it's, when you go there, it's intimidating. You like, oh, you try to like button up your collar and look around, you know, like, um, because you're not, you don't fit. Those are the pretty people. Uh, maybe some of you are, and you walk in there and you're like, yeah, I'm a pretty person. Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm not one of those people. So, that's right. Well, anyway. That's the hipster coffee shop. Now, I recently, well, what's interesting going there is a couple of times I've been at Cartel when a homeless person has come through. And it's interesting because these are the eco-friendly, save the world, we care about people people. 
And they always usher those poor homeless people out and don't let them to get any money or anything because, you know, they're going to table to table. Now, recently, this Tuesday, Sue and I decided we had a couple hours while we were staining some doors and we need to wait for them to dry and we need to do some stuff for the church. So we said, well, let's go to McDonald's. They have Wi-Fi and really cheap coffee and they're close to the house. So we go to McDonald's at 2 in the afternoon to get coffee. Now, the people who go to McDonald's to get inexpensive coffee are the people who can afford inexpensive coffee because they're the homeless people who came by cartel and got enough money to go to McDonald's. But what was interesting about the people there at McDonald's was that they, some of them are singing to themselves. Um, others of them, really, they're health-wise. They're obviously struggling. Some of them were obviously homeless. Some of them came up to us and talked to us because they wanted to know what the music was on the, on the speaker. You know, they seemed very friendly. Um, McDonald's kept messing up my coffee, which Cartel never does. Um, <laughs> but what I thought when I saw, when I was sitting there, is I said, these are the shepherds. These are the people that, that Jesus would show up to, that the angels would show up to and say, Jesus is born. If in the 21st century, in United States, if, they, if that's where Jesus was born, then the angels would somehow be getting Big Macs in the drive-thru and announcing that Jesus was here. And you would see all these people pouring out of McDonald's. Now, I know McDonald's would be mad at me or something. I don't know. But, but it was striking the difference in the kind of person. And I, 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 not that God doesn't love the people at Cartel, but what was fascinating to me is that at Cartel, and I even feel this when I go there, is that I'm important because of what I drink and the way I look. That my value is built up in some kind of image. It was very obvious to me that at McDonald's, people didn't find their value in the way they looked. They were in a culture of image, and that was not where they got their value. And that's the shepherds. It's the people who go to the McDonald's. They're the people who are outcasts. And you know what? They're even further down the line, outcasts. But these Shepherds are our McDonald's people. Verse 9. And I'm sorry if you work at McDonald's. I'm not trying to insult you. It's just a good thing. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is a whole different kind of angel. This is the ten-foot, glowy, maybe he's going to kill us angel. If this kind of angel shows up, the only thing you're thinking is that I'm going to die. Okay? I'm going to die. And, they, and, it, and it, that's what it says. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, and this is very important for angels to understand. So if they're listening, it's important for angels to tell us, do not be afraid, and tell us why they're bringing, what they're bringing. He says, I bring you good news, not to chop off your heads. Good news <laughs> and great joy that will be for all people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Here's the announcement that's life transforming for all of us. That Jesus is born and He's the Savior. He's your rescuer. He's Christ. He's your King. He's the Lord. He's sovereign. This is who's born. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. There's never been a birth announcement like this. This is the greatest birth announcement ever to happen. But what's key about this is the announcement is that God's favor rests on us. That's really, really big. That the reason that Mary can take the risk, the reason that you and I can engage is because God's favor is on us. God has come in Jesus to live with us, to be in relationship with us, to have favor on us. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now most of us, I know most of us say, I want this fantastic event to happen to me so then I can believe in God. If a fantastic thing happens, then I'll believe. Well, I'll tell you, as somebody who's seen a lot of fantastic things, crazy things, I have a hard time believing. It doesn't just, fantastic things don't solve it. But here's an interesting thing. I think that fantastic things happen to you all the time. God intervenes. Angels show up. But you have to open your eyes and look at what's going on around you. And you have to take a hint from the, from the shepherds. When God hits you in between the eyes, and he will at some point hit you in between the eyes with terrifying angels, terrifying events, you need to do what the angels do. I mean, the shepherds do. You need to say, let's go. Let's do this thing. Let's jump. Let's, I don't even understand what we're supposed to do. Let's just go. And the angels are like, uh, shepherds are like, let's go find out what the Lord told us about. So they hurried off to, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they appeared, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So when the angels head on down into, the, into Bethlehem, those sheep follow them. And it's really interesting that these sheep are actually the sheep, it's near Passover, which is when the sheep are all sacrificed. So these are all the Passover sheep. These are the ones that are with no blemish, that people would come from all over the country to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and they'd need to buy a lamb, most likely. And these are the lambs that they buy. So, all of the Passover lambs and the shepherds are coming down off the hill into the city, so nobody's going to forget this event. Shepherds are banging on doors, sheep are buying and making a mess of everything. So everybody knows who Jesus is in that town. But I thought what was really interesting is there's always a sign. God is very happy to give you a sign for you to believe. He's very happy to do that. All you need to do is ask. These people didn't ask, but you can ask for it. That can be your obstacle. If you're having trouble believing, or there's something in your life where God's saying, you need to risk here, ask for a sign. He'll give it to you. It may not be the sign that you're hoping for, but he will give you a sign. So, the last part of this. 
If taking a risk requires you to know the end goal, being like Jesus, that's the end goal, the big end goal. Second part is being willing to talk about the obstacles to believing. The third part is to start. The last part of taking a risk is enjoy the ride. Right? Go ahead and enjoy the ride. Mary is an introvert, right? She contemplates what the angel said to her. When the, when the shepherds show up, what does she do? She ponders it. The way she enjoys it is she slows things down and just kind of thinks about what the heck is going on. The shepherds, they took their risk. They could have said, well, yeah, maybe we were all on some weird drugs or ate the wrong things at McDonald's. We're not going into the village. But they went, and when they came back, what did they do? They praised God. They worshiped God. They're not allowed to worship in the temple, so their place to worship is up on that mountain, and they're praising God. They're enjoying the experience and the verification of it. Tonight, all I want you to hear is that Mary's experience and the shepherd's experience isn't really that fantastic. The virgin birth isn't that fantastic. If you know anything about quantum physics, then you know that this world is full of things that are crazy and don't make any sense. These aren't fantastic things. I actually think that every day you have these kinds of events in your life where God shows up and he speaks to you and he tells you what he told Mary. You were favored. God loves you. He shows up like the angels in your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's some stranger. A lot of times, because you and I are so anesthetized in this country and in this world, that we just don't look. We're not ready because we've just become numb. So my encouragement this week is for you to look. Look for where God is asking you to believe in Him. Look for where He's asking you to take a risk in your life. What time is it? We got time? Six. All right, good. Give me some questions and then we'll close. Anybody have any questions, thoughts, observations, pushback? Yes. Well, I think a couple things. I mean, one, if if the sign is in a way telling you to do something that's contrary to God and his word, then I would put that aside. But I think the big part of taking a risk is being willing to be quiet, willing to listen to God, put your obstacles up there, and then act. Because, you know, if you're, from the very simple example of there are two colleges, you're graduating from high school, you're trying to decide on which college you should go to. You pray about it, you decide, and if the one you decide is not the one God wants you to go to, I guarantee you he'll get you to the other one eventually. God will intervene. I think what God wants us to do is take a risk, and he will do the rest, like he did for Mary. Back in the corner.
Yes, 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 yes. Verse 22. Good question. Is that month in the sixth month? Is that June? You want to answer that back there? Yes. So it's just saying that she's six in the six months of of the woman beforehand in the text that we didn't read. She's been pregnant for six months. No problem. Yes, sir. Very good example. Very good. Right, and and also the the scripture part, but Paul, uh, Luke's intention is to try to give as much evidence to help cushion that too, to, in knowing. I think that if we, the more we got into the Yes. I, I mean, I think it's, what you're saying is God being at center will give you more of an opportunity to see him at work when you. Mm-hmm. Can, yes, bro. Yes. 
Yes. Looks very good. Anybody? Anybody else? I'm going to close. Anybody? Last thoughts in the back back there. That's very good. Having people around you helps you see the events of God's interaction. So just close, I guess the thing that I want to just close on is that Mary's story says God sent Gabriel. And I think it's very, very key that it's not just to Mary that God sends Jesus. God sends himself to us. Like, Every little event and every interaction is an opportunity for us to see God interacting with us and calling us to something greater and really calling us into a relationship with Him. And relationship with God is risky. And so I would just encourage you this week, as I said earlier, look for those places where Gabriel is showing up just as a man saying you are favored, asking you to believe something. Look for the angel's to hit you in between the eyes and call you to something big. Look for God to do something this week. Look what He's doing in your life. Let's close. Father, thank You for this community. Thank You for their love for You. Um, just ask that You would give us eyes to see. Give us courage um, to ask the hard questions like Mary. And give us the courage to take the risk to believe in You. And whatever it is that you're asking. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Couple